Well, how's that for a cheerful reading this morning? Um, when uh, Howard proposed uh, we should preach on Revelation, I was wondering whether it wasn't the right time actually to retire. Um, because um, if I'm really honest, my uh, preaching um, on Revelation has just been a pick and mix type of preaching, picking out verses that I like. Um, and I would certainly avoid chapter 9. I'm not a fire and health, um, and fire and brimstone preacher, um, but you heard it today, didn't we? Um, someone once said, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up with heavenly joy, but when you speak of hell, just your ordinary face will do. <laughs> I don't know if you know the testimony of Ian McCormick, who was a 24-year-old New Zealander, having the time of his life traveling the world with a friend and a surfboard. And he ended up in Mauritius, I think it was 1982 or 1984, um, and he was out fishing one night with some Creole fishermen. And he was doing some deep sea diving with the moon shining brightly into the depths of the sea. And while he was down there, he was stung by five he was stung five times by a box jellyfish. One sting of a box jellyfish is enough to kill someone. They are the most venomous sea creatures of all. Somehow, he managed to get to the beach, and he crawled up onto the beach and onto the road, which was running along the edge of the beach, and a taxi happened to stop and saw him there, um, and he said in his kind of venom-filled kind of subcon... You know, he was almost unconscious. He said, please take me to the hospital. And the taxi driver said, how much money have you got? <laughs> and he found out he had no money, so the taxi driver said, well, I'll ring you an ambulance. I'm not taking you. The ambulance turned up. Um, he was lifted into the ambulance, and this is what he said. During the journey in the ambulance to the hospital, my life flashed before me, and I thought, I'm going to die. This is what happens before you die. Your life is displayed before you. Despite being an atheist, I wondered whether there really was life after death. Then my mother's face came before me, and she said, Ian, no matter how far from God you are, if you will only cry out to God from your heart, God will hear you and God will forgive you. Unbeknown to him, she was actually in New Zealand at the time praying for him. He recalled how he was a, when he was a little boy that his mother used to pray the Lord's Prayer with him every night. And he couldn't quite remember the prayer, but suddenly they came up, the words came up, like on the screen, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. And when it got to the bit which says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, a voice said to him, Ian, you need to ask for forgiveness. He paused, and in his semi-conscious state, he asked for forgiveness. And the voice said, you also need to forgive the taxi driver who didn't pick you up. <laughs> so he forgave the taxi driver, they arrived at the hospital, and he was taken into A&E. He lasted a few minutes, 
and then clinically died. He stopped breathing and his heart stopped completely. In fact, he was dead clinically for at least 15 to 20 minutes. We're now going to show you what happened to him immediately after he died. Thanks, Lynette. emergency down uh, what looks like to be a part of the hospital or morgue or something moved me actually bodily down the tropics they don't leave your body lying around too long so they moved me out of the accident emergency down into another part of the hospital and so as for me I had no idea I'd been pronounced clinically dead to me I was asleep the trouble was as I closed my eyes which you know things go dark I suddenly found myself in a standing upright position, wide awake. I knew I was awake. The trouble was, it was pitch black. And my first thought was, why on earth did those doctors go and turn the lights out in here? I mean, that's enough to spin anyone out, you know what I mean? Why on earth would they do that? What kind of hospital is this? As I stood there, wondering how long I'd been asleep for and why the lights were out, you know what I mean? One minute it's a hospital room, next minute it's pitch black. I thought, well, don't freak out. Let your eyes accustomed to the dark. Maybe you've woken up too quick. So I kept looking, thinking my pupils are dilated. No light. Couldn't see a thing. It was pitch black, like a dark room. So I thought, well, well, okay. There must be some light in here somewhere. So I turned around 360 degrees, checking out to see if there's some light. Couldn't see a thing. I thought, well, I'll go and just find a wall, you know, find a wall here, get the light switch, turn it on, see where we are. As I went out to my right, I couldn't find the wall. I thought, that's weird. Have they moved me? Maybe that's why the lights are out. They've moved me down to the general ward while I'm in asleep. I've woken up. The lights are out. They don't want to wake the other patients. So I thought, well, I'll go back to my bed, find my hospital bed. Should be a lamp near there, and that shouldn't wake too many people up. So I started moving back to the left, groping around looking for my bed. Couldn't find it. I thought, great, you idiot, now you've lost your bed. How on earth did you do that? <laughs> you talk to yourself, so I'm groping around trying to find my hospital bed, can't find it, and another thought comes into my mind. It's so dark in here, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. I thought, well, is it that dark? I brought my hand up. As it did towards my face, my hand seemed to pass straight through my face, like there was nothing physically there. Thought, That's impossible. You can't miss your head, it's not that dark. Two hands. Well, both hands up to where my face should be, both hands seemed to pass straight through. So where's my arm, my body, my hands? As I went for different parts of where my human form should be, there was nothing physically there. It was like you're outside of your body. But before I could think too much about that, I'm thinking, well, what is this place? What's this darkness? As I stood there, I began to tune myself to it. I could sense the darkness had an evil presence, a cold, encroaching evil pervading the atmosphere. Like, it wasn't just physical, but there was a spiritual darkness, you know what I mean? As, like, it was evil in there. And as I stood there, I began to sense something on the, out to my right looking at me. In front of me, I felt like invisible eyes of something or someone checking me out. You ever felt that? Ever kind of felt like when you're walking home at night, sometimes someone's checking you out and you get a bit of a chill through your spine? Well, you intensify that about a hundred times over. I'm standing there sensing not only something, but there's something moving towards me. As I feel the movement in this darkness towards me, I move back. As I do, a man screams at me to the right out of the midst of the darkness and says this, Shut up! I went, shut up? I said, nothing, what are you talking about? You know, responding to him, I braced myself for a hit. 
As I did that, another voice of a man screamed to me to the left. He said, you deserve to be here. Deserve to be where? Where am I? Another man in front of me. You're in hell. Now shut up. Well, I didn't believe in hell. I was an atheist. I believed hell was a religious trip put on people to scare them into their religion. I thought all religions are based in fear. If there was a hell, it'd be a party time. You know what I mean? The end, jury headbang and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sex and drugs and rock and roll. You know what I mean? I'm thinking that's what it'll be. Party time. Everything you can't do up here, you can get away with down there. I thought I'd rather be down there than up, up there in the clouds with a white sheet on, having some, some little given a harp to play, you know what I mean? And some little fat baby with, with wings on firing arrows at me. I thought I'd rather be, you know, down here partying than up there in the clouds playing the harp or something. I mean, really. But see, both of those concepts just went out the window. I'm standing not down to party time with the lads. I'm standing here outside of my physical body. Pretty hard to grab your bear down there, isn't it? Right. Can't find your face. I mean, and, and jokes aside, you wouldn't want your worst enemy to go there. It was like I was standing there. I thought, man, this is like a holding tank. This is like, I mean, this could be real. As I stood there, realizing I could actually be in hell, in total dark, action emergency, down uh, what it looks like to be a part of the hospital or morgue or something, moved me. The, this is what we call a beyond-death experience. Um, and by death, of course, we're talking about physical death. Um, and Ian's spirit had left its body. Do you know that we are spirit beings? We inhabit a body. Um, and he had a foretaste of a place called hell. Some of the words he said about it, he wouldn't want his worst enemy to go there. That's how he, what he felt about it. And I'm interested to know that in the Apostles' Creed, we say this. Jesus was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. Jesus' spirit left his body, and he went to that place called hell. And Peter actually says why he went there. He says this, Christ died for our sins once and for all, a good man on behalf of sinners, in order to lead you to God. He was put to death physically, but made alive spiritually. And in his spiritual existence, he went and preached to the imprisoned spirits. And it goes on to say, these were the spirits of those who had not obeyed God when they waited patiently during the days that Noah was building the boat. Now, I started this testimony today because it illustrates some truths that Revelation chapter 9 clearly, I think, draws out for us. Chapter 9 continues the ongoing revelation of God's judgment upon the earth as the, scrolls are open, the scroll is opened, and here we hear the fifth and the sixth trumpet. Um, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, Billy Porch uh, talked about trumpets one to four from Revelation chapter 8. Notice the trumpet. The trumpet, I believe, is to accentuate, to announce, and to clearly tell people to wake up. This is real. This is God's revelation. It means wake up. Just a word or two about judgment first. Human beings long to see justice. 
when crimes are committed. We expect justice and we expect judgments, correct judgments. And we forget that God is a God of justice and a God of judgment. He's a God of love, but he wouldn't be a God of love if there was no justice because he would just allow everything to happen without there being a judgment. God is wanting Christians to know that living in a world independent of him has dire consequences. This letter was written to churches who are facing terrific opposition from Rome from their civilization, and from their army. And Jesus wanted to encourage the church to whom this letter was written to stand fast and not to give up. And so Revelation is a revealing of what will become of those who do not turn to God as much as it is an encouragement to the church to stand firm. I am... um, Amazed, really, I guess, to think that a person who has rejected Christ on the earth now is actually already condemned. I think the lawyers say you're innocent until you prove guilty. But that's not the case with faith. This is what Jesus said immediately after his most famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He said this, He who believes in me is not condemned, but he who does not believe me is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So in Revelation chapter 9, there are four things that stand out, and I want to talk about each one briefly. The first one is this. It's the sheer horrors of hell. Chapter 9 has a great deal to say about hell. It has a great deal to say about those who reject Jesus. In fact, I was reading one sermon on this chapter, and the sermon was titled this, The Unimagined Horrors of God's Judgment. That was the heading for the sermon. I thought, I've got to find some grace in this, please. But basically, verses 1 to 12 and verses 13 to 21, because there are two trumpets, is divided into two sections, where you see in the first part, evil rampaging through the earth, tormenting people. Torment. I don't know if you've ever been tormented before. I certainly have, and it's not pleasant. Um, And it's as if this foul, polluted river of evil is coming up from this bottomless pit, Um, hell. Um, It's coming up out of this pit and it's kind of flooding God's earth. And of course, the leader of this bottomless pit, it says in verse 11, is Adon and Apollyon. Those words mean destroyer and destruction. This, of course, is Satan, who is a fallen angel. It's important to realize, though, that although he's given charge of this bottomless pit, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, that will be his final destiny. Evil always collapses in on itself. Not so with love. 
So although Revelation 9 has lots of images that are quite frightening, um, smoke, furnace, locusts, massive horses with lion's teeth, um, uh, uh, stinging tails like scorpions, um, also horses with um, people with breastplates like hyacinth blue and iron breastplates um, and and, and sulfur uh, and smoke and brimstone. These are all images that actually the Christians in those days would be quite familiar with because many of them are Old Testament images that the, the, the Jews that become Christians were familiar with the Old Testament. They were familiar with the fact that locusts were a sign of God's judgment. Of course, living at the time of the Romans, they were familiar with Roman soldiers with breastplates marching in and horses charging in. They were familiar with those images. And so those were images that are probably a little more removed from us, but certainly for the early church, they were familiar with them. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul uses the breastplate of righteousness of one of the armour of God, for example, based on the Roman soldier. Right now, in our world today, we are witnessing rampaging evil descending upon the nation of Ukraine. You've probably been reading your paper and certainly watching your news, but I was interested in this Kiwi fellow who escaped from Kiev, and he called it escaping from hell. I'm interested also that um, people are saying the end of the world has come. They are experiencing in Ukraine right now the things that are being described in Revelation. Now, I'm not saying that this is the exact thing of Revelation. It's not. Because over the last 2,000 years, there have been wars and rumors of wars. I mean, in the Second World War, what was it? About 70 or 80 million people were killed in the Second World War in different nations. You know, the Bible says here in verse 6, In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Do you know one of the saddest things about Ukraine? Uh, Sue and I were reading last night. Um, There are something like 200,000 orphans um, and uh, neglected children in Ukraine, and a lot of them have been shifted to the border. And there are some very, very bad people at the borders who are picking up some of these children and taking them in for children trafficking. There are 5,000 children to this date who are unaccounted for. That's evil. That is evil. And for me, it reminds me of the fact that Jesus himself spoke about this. He said, um, he told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. He said in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he said to him, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in this water and cool my tongue because I am in torment in this fire. Folks, hell is real. Hell is horrible. Hell is a real place. And the testimony of Ian McCormick points out for us that it is a place of sheer evil. It's a place of a bottomless pit where Satan is in charge. Let's lighten it, shall we? The second point I want to make is the fact 
of God's protection for his people. Revelation is a book to bless Christian people. If you look at Revelation 1 verse 3, it talks, if you read this book, you will be blessed. It's a blessing to read this book and to put into practice the things that are in it. I don't know if you remember our um, two sermons on Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, that God is on the throne and Jesus, the Lamb of God, is with him. And we are called to worship God who's on the throne and to give thanks for what Jesus has done for us. God is in charge of his world. In Revelation um, um, uh, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, Christians are reminded that they are actually under God's protection. As we read here, that evil is only allowed to give permission to harm those, quote, who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. A seal is a mark of ownership. It's not just something that swims in the sea. And there and here it clearly indicates God's mark of ownership on his people. You see, we were bought with a price. We are owned by God. Now, in the New Testament, one of the key descriptions of a seal is the Holy Spirit. Let me read this to you. Paul says, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The blessed Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, the friend, the joy giver, the one who walks alongside us. There is no one like the Holy Spirit. He brings peace in the midst of storms. He brings joy to the oppressed. He brings love to people so that we might love our enemies and pray for them. He's gentle, but he's powerful. He is the Jesus with us now. I like to think of the Holy Spirit as Jesus' other person. As Christians, you know, we are not excused the reality of some of these events that happen. There are Christians in Ukraine. There are Christians in Poland. There are Christians in Russia. But God himself said that he will protect us. He will give us grace to be able to stand in the time of difficulty. God often empowers us in supernatural ways that we never ever could work out for ourselves. I've heard of stories of a missionary friend of ours in, in Colombia. Who, uh, their their, 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 their um, bus was stopped by some um, bandits and they all had to get out, and she was the only white person with blonde hair, and that's what they used to do. They used to capture those people and hold them for ransom, and as they walked down the line, they walked straight past her, and they didn't see her. 
They were looking for American gringos that they could... And, and she testifies to the amazing grace of God in that situation. You see, we are sealed. We are sealed. But you know, and I'm going to be talking about this when we look at Revelation chapter 11, which is, they say, the hardest book in the Bible. So thanks, Howard, for giving me that one. <laughs> but in Revelation chapter 11, it's all about the church, which is called to be the witness. We are called to witness to God's love. And we are given the supernatural deposit of the Holy Spirit so that we might witness to our friends and to a world that's going down the bottomless pit. The third point I want to make. Chapter 9 talks about the need for repentance. Right at the end of chapter 9, we are given a clue as to why God has allowed these torments and these destructive activities of evil to happen in the world over the last 1900 years. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. These horrible events that God has allowed to happen are part of God's plan that people would turn to God and say, help. They would repent. And here, John, in this chapter, talks about worship. He talks about people worshipping these things, worshipping the devil, worshipping things of iron and stone and things like that. What does he mean? You know, worship doesn't just mean singing and praying and coming to church. Worship means giving one's life totally to God. Humans can either give their lives um, to lifeless objects like cars and holidays, and I'm not putting those down. We need cars, we need holidays, e-bikes and all that sort of thing. We need those things, you know. Um, but if we give our lives to that and we're seeking after that, that is only a lifeless thing and we'll just get more and more tormented because we'll never be able to fulfill that desire in us to worship God. We were created to worship God. Uh, Bernard Levin, who was a famous journalist who lived in England, who died in 2004, who was not a Christian, wrote this just before he died. He said, um, I feared that I may have wasted my life in the chase for an unobtainable dream and living a life in the pursuit of finding meaning in the tangible seen world. Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, yet they lead lives of quiet and often noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there's a hole inside them and however many, how much food, McDonald's and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children they parade around it, it aches. See, we're created to worship God. And God is calling people to repentance, to turn to the creator, to find peace and joy and happiness and everlasting life. And the last point that comes clearly out of Revelation 9 is this. Revelation 9 is about the infinite patience of God. Peter declares in his second letter, chapter 
3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The early Christians to whom Revelation was written were expecting the imminent return of Christ. In fact, in Revelation 1.3, if you want to turn to that, it says this, Blessed is he who reads uh, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep these things which are written in it, for the time is near. They were expecting Christ to return. But he hasn't returned for the last 1900 years. Have you seen this in the newspaper? This is Waka Kotahi's plan that there will be no deaths on our roads by 2050. Do you think that's a good plan? It's a great, do you think it'll happen? Oh, you doubting people. They reckon that they're going to reduce road deaths by 40% by 2030 and completely annihilate that by 2050. There won't be any deaths on our roads. Probably we will have run out of petrol by then anyway. (laughs) Sorry, couldn't resist that one. But by advertising, by teaching, by showing some of these really sad infomercials on TV of people uh, who lose their families and dying, they're trying to shock people into... Driving more slowly, take your hands off the cell phone, don't drink and drive, those sorts of things. I think Revelation 9 is actually God's advertising campaign for reducing the people who are not worshipping God and calling people to repentance. By the tragedies and the meaningless of life that we see in John's dream, which resulted in the um, torments of the people on the earth and the death of one third of the population, the hope is that God wants everyone to turn to him. The first century Roman author Valerius Maximus said this, The divine wrath is slow indeed in vengeance, but it makes up for its tardiness by the severity of its punishment. Dear friends, Revelation is a letter about true reality. It's about Almighty God who's seated on the throne and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who's won the victory over sin and death and evil. It's a revealing of God's plan for his world, that judgment is coming and it's happening because people who die, who are not committed to Christ, are condemned already. It's supposed to be a huge encouragement to Christians, but it's also a challenge to each one of us. Now, we started with Ian McCormick's testimony, and of course it didn't finish there because he's alive to tell the story. And I want to show you now what happened immediately after he um, had experienced this death experience in hell. Thanks, Lynette. A radiant beam of light pierced through the darkness above me. As this light touched my face, I felt an awesome presence go through me, and my entire body seemed to lift off the ground and be translated up into this light and radiance. 
as I'm being drawn up into it, I can see that it's coming from a circular shape opening far above me, that this light is emanating out of a circular opening. I feel like a speck of dust being drawn towards this light. As I'm being drawn up towards it, I thought, is this real? I look back over my shoulder and far beneath me I could see the darkness. Somehow this light had pinpointed me and plucked me out of it. Still not understanding what this light was, I began to move up to the opening, enter it. As I was drawn into the opening, I could now see that it was a tunnel circular in shape. As I looked along the length of it, I could see the, the source of the radiance. My first thought is the center of the universe. Look at the light. Look at the power coming from there. And moving into the tunnel, I, I knew I wasn't walking. I was being translated through the air and at a supernatural speed, drawn towards the light. As I've been moved towards it, I watch as a wave of radiance comes up. As this wave of light comes off the source, it touches me and I feel warmth, mm -hmm. comfort. All that kind of fear and darkness just seems to go out of me and I feel a living light go through me. As I moved through it, I thought in the darkness, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Maybe in this radiant light, I can see something. So I turned my head, you know what I mean, to look. As I looked to my right, I saw my arm, my hand outstretched, because I mean, I've been drawn towards it. As I looked, my arm was transparent, full of light, totally full of radiance. I thought, that's bizarre. I'd stop in the tunnel. I thought, I don't want to stop here. I want to see more. I don't know what's happened to me, but I want to see what's down there. As I continued to look back to the source of the radiance, I felt myself again move along the tunnel towards it. As I did, another wave of light came up. As this wave of radiance passed into me, joy, total joy, filled me. I thought, that's awesome. What am I going to see next is going to be the most incredible thing a man could possibly see. As I popped out of the tunnel, I watched now where the tunnel had constricted the size and diameter of the light I could see. I now had unrestricted access to the radiance. As I looked out, I could see I was standing in what appeared to be the center of the universe. All light and power seemed to be directly in front of me. Shafts of radiance came out from the central core. It was like a white fire. Phenomenal radiance in the central core. From that, I watched this brilliant light piercing out. And I thought, even the stars in the universe, even the constellations, must find their energy source from this focal point. What is that light? Is there someone in there surrounded by this radiance? Or is that just an energy source in the cosmos? Is that just some power source of good in the universe? Or is there a person or a being in that radiance? As I questioned that in my own mind, a voice spoke to me from the center of the light. The voice said, Ian, do you wish to return? As I heard this man's voice, I instantly recognized it be the same one that spoke to me on the side of the road where I nearly closed my eyes and died. The same voice that asked me to beg for my life, the same voice that spoke to me in the ambulance, asked me if I'd forgive these men. As I heard his voice, I thought, he knows my name, there is someone, but return where? Where am I? As I looked behind, I could see the same circular shape opening, like the tunnel that I'd apparently just traveled down, dissipating back into darkness. I thought, darkness, hospital bed, my physical body. Have I left my physical form? Have I actually come up this tunnel of light? Is this real? Am I standing here? 
out of my physical form? Or am I comatized in the hospital having some bizarre dream or hallucination? Am I alive or am I dead? Well, my mind, I could cognitively think of the two alternatives. You don't leave your mind behind. And as I stood there grappling with what was reality, I thought, this could be real. I could actually be dead. Maybe I did die. Perhaps I'm standing here. I thought, but return where? I responded to the question. I said, I don't even know where I am. If I'm out of my physical body, I wish to return. I have no idea where I am. As I spoke that to him, he spoke to me again and said, Ian, if you wish to return, you must see in a new light. I thought, if I want to go back, I must see in a new light. What does that mean? Light. See the light. Look at this light. Am I seeing the light? It must be. Look at this. It's a phenomenal radiance. Are you the true light? As I asked the question to the person who was speaking to me, words appeared in front of my eyes. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. A radiant beam of light pierced through the darkness above me. As this light touched my face, I felt an awesome presence. Ian has been travelling the world for the last 35 years telling people of his experience and many, 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 many people have been coming to the Lord through his testimony. So as we finish today, I think um, Ian McCormick's story uh, also resonates the four main points for Revelation 9. First of all, he was called by God to repent. Repentance is a key to Revelation chapter 9. Secondly, he experienced the true horrors of hell. There is an alternative to heaven. Thirdly, he experienced the seal of the Holy Spirit, the joy and the love and the peace of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, he experienced the great patience of God. Even as an atheist, he was called by God, I think in response to his mother's prayers, I'm sure that was a key, he was called by God as an atheist to turn his life around, and he did. So although Revelation is a chapter about the infinite um, horrors of God's judgment, I have recalled um, this sermon that I read, The Infinite Patience of God Amongst the Horrors of God's Judgment. Amen.